Hello and welcome. It's the hobby shelf and we are gonna talk about our hobbies. Hello and welcome to the hobby shelf. This is a podcast where we talk about books, board games, and really just anything we're interested in. This is episode 8, and today we're going to match some books with some board games, as if they were a match made in heaven. I'm Brenna, a freelance editor and avid reader. And I'm Oren, a fake English major with a concentration in board games. So, Oren, what have you been playing lately? What have I been playing lately? We've been playing a lot of Gloomhaven, which is fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I got the chance to run a one-shot for Halloween, which was really fun. A one-shot, um, a D&D one-shot. Oh, a D&D one-shot. For those of you who do not know what that means, um, a one-shot... So generally in D&D, you play a story, and it is linear. Well, not necessarily linear, but um, like it has like a story elements to it. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, there's... And usually when you play, you play over multiple sessions, and the story continues past one session. A one-shot is a full story that happens within a beginning, middle, and an end within one session that you play. So I had the chance to run one of those for Halloween. Pretty fun. I enjoyed that. Got some good feedback. People said they enjoyed it. And what else? I feel like I've played one other thing. I think that's all that you played. I played Phase 10. You played Phase 10. I also played On the Road. You mean On Tour? On Tour. Yeah. On the Road is a book. I actually think we played that the week before and forgot to mention it. Oh. Well, you we played on tour. Talk about on tour. On tour is a very cool roll and write game. So it happens in you are a band and you have your uh, you're going on tour and you're the band manager and you need to come up with a route that you're taking across the USA because apparently this band hates every other country. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but you are a band. You have to find your route across the USA. Um, and every turn, there will be three regions of the U.S. that are drawn, and then you will roll a pair of dice, and you have to put those numbers in those regions. And, well, you have to put two of the numbers in two of the regions, and those regions then you have to later on connect and make a route that you can drive on in your band, tour, truck, car thing. And it goes from, what you're trying to do is basically make the longest route from lowest to highest number around yes. the country. Yeah, so you can't go from 1, or sorry, more accurately, you can't go from 20 to 17, but you can go from 17 to 20. Mm -hmm. You can't go downwards, backwards. <laughs> downwards. Gosh, downwards, that sounds weird. <laughs> um, but you can go forwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a fun game. It is a fun game. It's good for a lot <laughs> of people, and it's easy to play. It is good for a lot of people, it's easy to play, and I generally like the gameplay for it. Yeah. We've played a couple roll and rights, being this one and Welcome To. I want to know, like, do you have a favorite out of these two? Like, do you like Welcome To or do you like... Welcome To has more going on. Okay. There are a lot of different ways you can get points. On Tour is a lot more straightforward. Okay. Um, I like them for different reasons. I don't think I have a favorite out of the two. Cool. All right. That's yeah. fine. Cool. There's another roll and write that I've got my eye on right now called Railroad Inc., where you are legitimately drawing railroads, and I'm interested to see how that one works as well. Cool. Yeah. Cool. What have you been reading lately? Well, as usual, I have a list, because for some reason in October, I just read a heck ton of books. <laughs> I don't think it's just October. <laughs> no, but in October, I read more than I've read, like, any other time this year. Hmm. So, um, the first book that I finished was The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Spooky. Yeah, and I'm not going to talk about that right now, because... 
that is one of the books that we are matchmaking with. So I'll go into that later. I'll just say it was like my first foray really into horror, into like psychological horror, and I, mean, I loved yeah. it. I loved it. It was great. Except I will say I can't read horror if Orin isn't home because I can't be by myself. <laughs> I mean, you did it this time. You survived. No, I read it while you were there. Oh, really? I thought, yeah. I thought you read it. Okay. I read no. the majority of it while you were there and then I finished it when you were gone, but it was fine because it was the morning. Mm. So it wasn't. And my mom was also with me, so it was okay. <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to remove some of the scariness from a scary movie or a scary book, just do it first thing in the morning. You just like wake up, you know, you have your cup of coffee and your Cheerios and you sit down and you watch, you know, I don't know, The Ring or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Great yeah. way to uh, celebrate spooky days. Sure. Okay. Well, what else have you read? <laughs> <laughs> the next book I finished, I've been reading for a long time. It's The Copy Editor's Handbook by Amy Einstone and Marilyn Schwartz. This one was like a reference book that I was reading for work, but I also really enjoyed it. Because it talks about the mechanics of copy editing, but it was also really funny. Like, I laughed out loud so many times reading this book. You're a nerd, and I love you, but that's really funny to me that you laughed while reading a copy editing book. Like It's you, so funny! The you, examples that they give of, like, grammatical errors were just hilarious. I love you. You're funny and you're a nerd, but I love you. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay. I'm a nerd too, so. I'm admittedly a nerd. I don't feel any shame about that. Yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> also, for me to shame you for being a nerd is like, that's some next level shaming. Like, I don't think yeah. that that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, what what's next? Uh, the next book I finished is called City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. She is the author from, uh, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Eat, Pray, Love. This is a very different book, though. This is about a young girl named Vivian Morris who goes to live with her... Well, first she gets kicked out of university, and then she goes to live with her aunt, Peg, who's kind of... Well, her family... Her parents think her aunt Peg is crazy. She lives in Manhattan, and she runs a playhouse called the Lily Playhouse. So it's a theater, and they put on shows. Okay. And so Vivian goes to live with her, and then she gets introduced to kind of the glitz and glamour of theater stardom sort of and she kind of gets herself into trouble that's all i'm gonna say but it's an interesting book it focuses a lot on female sexuality and freedom and what it means to embrace the life you want to live hmm. i really liked the first maybe three quarters of the book maybe two-thirds i guess that was the part that focuses on her in Manhattan when she's young. But then the end kind of jumps ahead in the future, and I kind of felt like that part was rushed. Mm. Like, you go so in-depth into the first half of the book, and you get to know these characters and the lives that they're leading and all of these things that happen, and then suddenly, when the incident, let's call it, takes place, the book completely shifts, and then it jumps ahead to the future, and that part is just rushed through so quickly... I really, I appreciate the message of the book mm. and the themes of the book, but that last part of it knocked it down to three stars instead of four for me. You just wish that it had spent more time on her reaction to said event, or...? I just wish the pacing was better. Like, the first part of the book was really engrossing and went fast, but, like, it went fast, but then it was interrupted and then went, like, super fast. Like, it spent a long time in her 19 and 20 
age. And then it just kind of flew through the rest of her life, like, really quick. Mm-hmm. And it just felt disjointed okay. a little bit. Okay. I get so. that. I can see how that would be disjointed. Earlier on, before we got into the actual deep talk about the book, I was like, oh, our first match. Trouble. Because you said she gets into trouble. Ha. And it's fun to get into trouble. Oh, my gosh. Um, I've never actually played trouble in my life. Yeah, you talked I about that remember... on the last episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. No. <laughs> Sorry. Because that was a childhood game. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, the last book that I finished on this list is called The Fountains of Silence by Ruta Sepetys. Ruta Sepetys is one of my favorite authors of all time. Like, she is an autobi author for me. Big statement. Yeah. She writes historical fiction, and she's kind of called a crossover author because... Her books are about young adult characters mostly, but adults also read her books. Hmm. And she tends to write about historical events that aren't as well known. So the two books of hers that I read already are Salt to the Sea and Between Shades of Grey. Okay. Both of which are amazing and both of which made me cry. This one is about a young Texan named Daniel, who's just about to go to university, and he is on a trip to Madrid in 1957 with his parents because his dad is, like, an oil guy and is making a deal. And he's on a trip to Madrid in 1957. Yes, so this is set... This is set right after the Spanish Civil War, Mm -hmm. during the fascist dictatorship of General Francisco Franco. Okay. So, like, everyone knows about... Stalin and Hitler, but I don't think a lot of people know about Franco. Mm. Like, I didn't know about Franco really at all until I read this book. Mm. Like, I knew he existed, but I didn't really know anything about what his regime was like. You didn't, like, realize what happened? Yeah. So this is another book that's very hard-hitting, just like her other books. It didn't make me cry, though. Like, it was still really sad because there are a lot of terrible things that happened in that fascist regime. Yeah. Well, not everything does need to make you cry, though, in order for it to be good. Like, yeah, no, you can this is still emotion. a five-star book. Yeah. But so it's about Daniel on the one hand, but then the other main character is Anna. And Anna is a girl who lives in, like, a small rundown town just on the outskirts of Madrid, and she works at a hotel there, the first American hotel. Mm. Like, just when they started letting American tourists back in. So she's a maid that works there, and the story goes back and forth between her and Daniel. Hmm. So it's really good. And one of the reasons why I love Ruta Sepetti's books is she writes in really short chapters and they jump back and forth from points of view, but they're all, like, all the points of view are related to each other. So it's building up one cohesive story and it's really easy to just step back from the book when you need to because the chapters are so short. That's cool though. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like it has the opposite of a pacing problem. (laughs) Yeah, it's you know not, I mean? her books are never boring. They're never dull. Which is great. Always I good. love them. Very important as well, just when, like, in general, general for a book or, or even, like, a board game. Mm-hmm. Like, pacing is a big deal. Like, if you're, if you, like, one of the reasons that I dislike Catan, right, is because of the pacing problem where you can end up spending turns and turns where you roll and do nothing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then you run into the other problems where instead, like, it still moves pretty fast around the board in Canton, but then you run into the other games, like, like, I love this game, don't get me wrong, but, like, we played it for the first time this summer, and it was called Gaia Project. Yeah. And, like, pacing problems, like... Okay, but Gaia Project, also, we were learning it. Yeah. So it was going so slow. Yeah. And there was, like, there is so much going on in that game. What game do you think has the biggest pacing problem, like, 
the longest turns. Like, you take a turn, and then it's like, all right, I'm going to do nothing for, like, an hour, and then it gets back to you, and then it's like, okay. I... Sometimes, I mean, it really just, I can't think of a game specifically that has this problem. I think it just depends who you play with. Mm. Like, if you're playing with someone that's got analysis paralysis, any game can have a pacing problem. <laughs> for In layman's turns terms got turns gosh help me fake english major uh in layman's terms analysis paralysis means exactly what it sounds like you you are in analyzing something for too long and then do not take a turn yeah you hold up everyone else because you're thinking forever yeah which yeah. some games i get it you need to think but it can be frustrating i think a game that gives me a lot of like angst from like waiting for people is Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride moves around pretty fast, but Ticket to Ride is so stressful. I just don't like Ticket to Ride because I'm always scared that I can't get my stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ticket to Ride moves around pretty fast. Like, and, it, and don't get me wrong, like, this game, when you play with the right people, will move super, super fast. But if there's, there's times in that game where it literally gets to, like, the end of the game, and I literally cannot, I have to leave the table sometimes because I'll take my turn, and then I realize that, like, there's four other people that need to go... And I literally don't want to watch them play because I am so anxious about things that I need to get done. Like, it's just very frustrating. That's why we don't play Ticket to Ride very often. Yeah, well, not our game. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into some matchmaking. Okay. So the way that we did this, we wanted to make it kind of fun and a challenge for each other. So I gave Oren two books that he had to find board games for. And he gave me two board games that I had to find books for. And then for a fifth one, we're just using one that happened to work almost too perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we'll see how this goes. We might cut this, but I think at the end it would be a cool idea to see if we can come up with random ones. You know what I mean? Like I just spit out a board game to you and see what comes comes into your mind as a matched, matched book. Uh, we'll oh, see. Okay. We might cut it. I think it would be fun, though. Okay, we'll try it. All right. Cool, cool. All right. So what is the first book that you have? So the first book that I'm going to talk about is The Haunting of Hill House. But I want you to talk about the game that it's matched with first. Well, you might as well just take the words in that book's title and rearrange them because this board game is called Betrayal at House on a Hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is literally a descriptor of what happens in... The Haunting of Hill House, I believe. Yeah. Actually, we don't even need to really describe Betrayal. We have talked about Betrayal before. Mm-hmm. For those of you who have not heard our previous episodes, go ahead and go listen to the one where we talk about Betrayal at House on a Hill. That would be episode 1.4, where we talk about spooky books and board games. So I thought of this, that like we had to use this because I was reading The Haunting of Hill House last week, and I was just like... I swear, the makers of this game just had to have based it off this book because it's just so perfect. Mm -hmm. It's like The Haunting of Hill House is about this guy. His, he's a doctor. His name is Dr. Montague. And he's studying, like, paranormal phenomena. So he invites three people, well, I guess two people, and then one of the family members of the house to live in this haunted house and to try and, I guess, research whatever happens there. So he invites a girl named Theodora and then a girl named Eleanor and the family member is Luke and they stay in the house and they're there to try and see how the hauntings work. Mm. And 
Eleanor is the protagonist and we kind of follow her through all the creepy things that happen in the house and we see how the house kind of gets into her head and affects her psychologically. Hmm. But the reason why this book works so well with betrayal is for like the first I don't know, three quarters of the book. Basically, all they're doing is they go to this house and then they're running around exploring all the rooms. Yeah. That's what they do. And that's exactly what you do in the game. Yep. You run around the board and you explore the rooms and then you hit omens and then a haunt starts. And even that works with the book because they hit like some weird things happen in specific places in the house. And then all of a sudden it's like the real haunting starts. Mm -hmm. So these just work perfectly together. And I didn't actually, I forgot to look up to see what the if the inspiration behind the board game was this book. Oh. But, like, the titles just work so well together. I really, I find it hard to believe that the creators of Betrayal at House on a Hill did not take inspiration from The Haunting of Hill House. Like, I just, yeah. if I were to speak to that board game designer and ask them, and they said no, I would have a hard time believing them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, what was... The first... Well, how do you want to do it? Do you want to do the board games that you suggested to me first? Let's start with my first board game that I suggested to you, okay. which is called Pandemic. Pandemic is a cooperative board game. So you are playing as a team of medics who are going around and treating a global pandemic. So essentially there are four strains of disease that are breaking out all over the world. And you guys as the players are trying to move around the board, which is a map of the world, um, in order to use your skills to stop outbreaks, to take preventative measures and prevent the outbreaks from moving farther all the while trying to find a cure. This game is very stressful, so if you're not a big fan of stress, <laughs> I don't recommend this game for you. But if you looking, if you are looking for a challenge, Pandemic has been known to be one of the most popular cooperative board games for a very long time. And there's a reason for it, because it is a very well-designed, very clean game. What's your, what's your book that goes with this? I'm curious to know, because <laughs> this is all about diseases, outbreaks, you know, like... Like, really, it gives you the feeling of, like, what's the show called? The Day After Tomorrow? Do you know the, the yeah, movie? Yeah, the post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Or not even post-apocalyptic, just apocalypse. It's just, film. like, during the apocalypse, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's, what's your book? Okay, well, you had suggested, because I was struggling with this one, because I don't like to read books that are stressful, and I don't like reading about sickness, and I am not a big post-apocalyptic fan. <laughs> mm. So you had suggested The Maze Runner by James Dashner, which is a series. <laughs> is that where you're going with? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm bringing it up because I think it could be a good pick for some people. I'm just mentioning it, mentioning it in case someone wants to check it out, but I really dislike that series to the point where I almost wanted to read it to go through it to talk about how bad it is. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. So what's so your we're not, real... We're not talking about that one. What's your real match for my board game, though? Okay. Stop talking about the runner-up, the side woman, <laughs> or the side book, side man. The book that I'm matching with Pandemic is called The Wanderers, or not The Wanderers, I think it's just Wanderers, by Chuck Wendig. Okay. I haven't actually read this book. Oh. But I heard about it on the Currently Reading podcast, which I recommended last week. Awesome. This was one of Meredith's books that she talked about. Okay. Uh, so this has been compared to The Stand by Stephen King and Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. 
those are two very popular books. The premise of this book is there's a girl named Shanna whose little sister is sleepwalking. Mm. She's sleepwalking somewhere. They don't know where she's going. They can't wake her up. If they put stuff in front of her, she just like moves it or gets around it. Like you can't stop her from sleepwalking. And then uh, a like eventually a bunch of other people join her. So in sleepwalking, in sleepwalking. So it gets to be like, there's a bunch of people sleepwalking across America and no one knows where they're going or what's happening. And their family members go with them and they're called shepherds because they're, you know, trying to make sure that nothing happens to these people. <laughs> yeah. And like the military gets involved and I don't know. I haven't read it, but it's kind of about an apocalyptic epidemic where these people are all sleepwalking to some unknown destination. Mm. And I picked it to go with Pandemic because I think it is, well, I mean, to me, it sounds stressful. <laughs> and all of these shepherds and the people around the sleepwalking group are trying to figure out what's going on and how they can stop it. Yeah. Which so, does sound kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. So that is why I think it would be a good match for Pandemic. That's really cool. I'm sad that you haven't read it because I want to know more about this book. Yeah. I actually want to read it. Maybe I'll have to read it. Yeah. yeah it sounds good. I had another, I have a matchmake for this book, this board game as well, Pandemic. Oh. But you're going to have to correct me on the name of this book because I constantly forget the name of this book. But it's the one where there's like a some child, nope, teenager, in like Manhattan, natural disasters. <gasps> um, And he ends up just like living his life with his like sister uh, or like his... Let me, I'm going to look this up on Goodreads real quick. Okay. Because you've read this book. Yeah, From what it I remember. scarred me for life. I still have nightmares about it. Yeah. That book might match the stress level of Pandemic. It also, from what I can tell, it's just like someone experiencing natural disasters as they're happening around Manhattan. And I feel like that's very reminiscent of what Pandemic is trying to do. Obviously, when you're playing a game, it's hard to feel that. But I think this book would really go well with that in the form of a... Like, it would definitely ground you in a more human perspective because in pandemic you definitely have an overview and you feel like a god you know what i mean like you're just moving your pawns around the board but in this book you are experiencing it firsthand although i don't think it's a disease i believe it is a natural disaster what's the reality here babe hang on i'm just looking it up it's called the dead and the gone yes this book is scarring okay so this is about um, an asteroid hits the moon, which shifts all of the tides on the earth. Mm. And uh, there's this guy who is, his name is Alex. He's living in Manhattan, I yeah. think. Yeah. And Sounds like great. his parents are on the subway or something. And like basically Manhattan gets flooded. Yeah. And everything just stops. Like there's food shortages and everyone's dying and the weather on earth has changed. And he's trying to survive with his two sisters his two young sisters, one of whom has really severe asthma. And it's like, it is haunting and hard-hitting and depressing. And as far as I remember, does not have a happy ending. Do you think it's a match for Pandemic? I don't because it's more of a natural disaster story. But in Pandemic, you're dealing with hard-hitting, rough, you're dying the entire time. You lose the majority of the time. I guess stress level, yeah. Stress yeah, I mean... level, it's a good book. That way, the theme doesn't quite match up. But yeah, if you're if you're looking for something stressful, <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to, you know, if it, if you didn't have enough stress in your real everyday life, you should just 
read that book and play this board game at the same time and see how that, that goes for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your first book for me? Okay, well, the first book that I gave you is If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio. I love this book so much. This is actually one of the books that I just went in the library and saw the cover and was like, huh, that looks cool. Picked it up, read it, and it became one of my favorites. Yep. We have regretted not owning this book for a very long time. Yeah, I still don't own it, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. So it starts with a man named Oliver Marks who's been in jail for 10 years for murder, and he's just being released, and Detective Colborn is picking him up. And Detective Colborn is asking him what the true story is because it's implied that he doesn't think Oliver is actually guilty for this murder. So then you go back in time and Oliver tells a story about he and his seven friends, they went to an elite arts college to study Shakespeare. Like they're all actors. Uh, it's kind of, <laughs> the school they go to is kind of like an older, more creepy boarding school. Like it gave me Harry Potter vibes, like Hogwarts vibes, but on a really dark level. What, what do you mean, like, on a dark level? Like, like, because they're university age and there is a lot of... There are darker things going on than the stuff that happens in Harry Potter. Actually, that's not true. There's a lot of dark stuff in Harry Potter. Yeah, like, I mean, like, when you say it's dark, though, is it like, don't go to the third floor on the third floor right-hand corridor or you, no, you'll think... die or don't go into the forest or you'll literally die. No, like... I think what it is is that it's an adult book. So the vibes are just darker in general. Okay. Uh, but what happens is there's like a, a lot of drama going on between these seven friends and their relationships are very like strained and tense at times. Mm -hmm. And eventually one of them ends up dead under very suspicious circumstances. And they're trying to figure out which one of them did, said did it. Which one of them is the killer. And so. we're learning this from the perspective of a person who just got out of jail, right? Yes. Hmm. So it's kind of a murder mystery I guess it is a murder mystery. Sounds sounds like the definition of a murder mystery to me. Yeah, just from a slightly different perspective. Okay. So what board game did you come up with for this one? So I came up with, well, when you first came to me and told me about this book, I immediately went to murder mystery. I have to find a locked room game that goes with this. So I found what is called locked room, the game. And there is one that is just called the murder mystery. <laughs> Um, so if you don't know what a locked room game is, um, or what the brand, the locked room game is, these are essentially, if you've ever been to a locked room, you know what these board games are. What happens is you get a box. It's a very small box actually. And you open it up and inside of this box is just one puzzle. And it's not like a puzzle, like there are pieces. It is like a puzzle. Like if you were a detective and you had to solve a crime, this, and it presented you with clues or Imagine you're on the set of Clue and you have to figure out what happened. So there are different locations that you can go to in the game by turning into different spots in the book. There are different clues and often these bo these board games are very clever in that they will put things in very interesting locations. Um, like I've played one where you had to rip up the cards and rearrange them in different like in a different way to create new cards. And uh, there was another one where, like, you had to essentially rip apart the entire box of the board game in order to find one hidden card that was in the box. That's cool. Yeah, so these are very thought processy games. This is my honorable, honorable mention, though, because I'm going to go with the amped up version of this, <laughs> which is called uh, Sherlock Consulting Detective. I want to play this one. This is a board game, which is like what I just described in that it is kind of like a locked room, except there are 10 unsolved cases 
that show up at Sherlock's door. And Sherlock is not you, you are instead working along with Sherlock. And you essentially have to go around the entirety of London. They literally put London in a box. There's a phone book that you can go through, find the lo find essentially the phone number of any location or any business uh, in London or within at least the area around Baker Street. And you can go to that location and find a part of the book in, in the board game that tells you about what you see at that location. And there are newspapers that also come with this board game that you can look at what happened from the day of the murderer, or of the murder, sorry. And your goal is to find who did the crime in what location of London and with what murder weapon. But it is so much like what I just described where you're really mentally jumping through hoops to figure out what happened. And in the end, instead of you possibly having the perfect answer, you have a answer, and then Sherlock comes in and tells you, well, obviously, this is what it is. This, I've never played this game, but I have looked at this game before and heard from other people in board game stores when I ask, because I constantly go into board game stores and ask, what board game should I buy for some reason? Because <laughs> um, I don't know enough about board games already, so I like to have people tell me what to do, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, um, <laughs> this board game looks fun. Definitely check it out. I think it would go with the murder mystery theme of Brenna's book, If We Were Villains. Um, even though Sherlock is its own murder mystery, I think that you would enjoy it. I mean, it's obviously Sherlock and Shakespearean theater are slightly different, but they are both dramatized versions of murder mystery. Or at least your book is, not Shakespearean theater. Yeah, that's my suggestion for a match to your book. I think that's a good match. Yeah? It sounds like a good match, yeah. We don't actually know because we've never played it, but I do strongly recommend checking out this board game because it looks really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Shut Up and Sit Down, the YouTube channel, says that it is the best solo game and the best couples game. Which sounds really good to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth checking out. I've actually got two games today that are, for whatever you told me, both of them are essentially two-player games, so. Oh, cool. So what was your next board game that you gave me to match? The next board game for you, still sticking with London and folklore, we're going with Sheriff of Nottingham, which is a board game where it actually has very little to do with Robin Hood, but it does have to do with stolen things. The point of this game is it is a essentially social deduction game where every player has a bag of no one really knows what, but you also <laughs> have a hand of cards and you have to pick what you are putting inside your bag from your hand of cards in order to bring into the market of Nottingham to sell. And everyone gets a turn to be the sheriff of Nottingham and everyone gets a turn to be a, a merchant in Nottingham. And when you bring your stuff into Nottingham, what? I hate how you say Nottingham. Nottingham. <laughs> when, you, when you bring your goods into Nottingham to get them into the market, the sheriff has the, the option to check what's in your bag to see if there's contraband or to let you just kind of slide by. And if he finds contraband in your bag, you owe a fine to the sheriff of Nottingham. But if they do not, they owe you because they inconvenienced you and stopped your business. So it kind of creates this really interesting dynamic between the player and the player who is the sheriff and the player who is not the sheriff, which, by the way, it alternates on a turn to turn basis. And um, it's really fun to play with like a group of people. If you're feeling like a lighter game and you just kind of want to sit down and have a fun time, I do recommend Sheriff of Nottingham. I think it's a good game. I do think though that after you play it a couple times with the same group, it can become a little dull because you kind of get to know everyone's play style. 
And See, and I don't like this game because I'm horrible at bluffing. Yeah, well, just because you're bad at lying doesn't mean that you can hate on this game. I'm not hating on it. I just personally don't like to play it because I'm bad at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's acceptable. <laughs> it's acceptable. I don't often like to play Catan because I feel like I'm bad at it. So I like, I accept. Yeah. Cool. What is your book that goes with Sheriff of Nottingham? Hey, well, I could have been super obvious and I could have gone with Robin Hood. Robin Hood! But I decided not to because I wanted to be more creative than that. Well, thank you for being very creative and not predictable. <laughs> You're welcome. The next one that I actually thought about going with also was The Lies of Walk Lamora by Scott Lynch. Okay. But I talked about that book on episode 1.6, so I'm not going with that either. Oh. <laughs> Instead... You're teasing us. What's the real reveal? <laughs> So the book that I am going to match with this, I kind of went with how the Sheriff of Nottingham is about keeping secrets and being able to bluff under pressure. Yep. So I picked The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. Oh. And this is one of my all-time favorite books. I read it almost every year. Mm -hmm. It is very near and dear to my heart. It's about a little girl named Liesel. Okay, I'm going to say her name wrong. I don't know if it's Memminger or Meminger. I feel like Memminger. Okay. Well, regardless. I've never read the book. <laughs> it's about a little girl named Liesel who lives in Germany during World War II. Mm. And actually, one of the coolest things about this book is it's told from the perspective of death. Like, death narrates the entire novel. That is the most intriguing part about that. I mean, obviously, I know because it's been hyped and I know about this book. But the most intriguing thing about this is that fact that it is narrated by death. I think that's a very interesting way to write a book. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. Uh, so in the first few pages, we learn that Liesel's brother dies on the train and she steals her first book at his graveside. And this is all happening as her mother is taking her to what is essentially a foster home in Munich. Hmm. She leaves her with these people named Rosa and Hans Huberman. And so she leaves the, she leaves Liesel with them and they essentially raise her. Okay. So it's about Liesel adjusting to life in this town under the Nazi regime. Uh, she's very daring. She's one of my favorite heroines of a novel because she's just, she's got a lot of audacity. She's got the gumption. Yeah, and she's pretty sassy. Like, she steals books from Nazi uh, book burnings, and at one point they hide a Jew in their basement, and she has to try not to give that away. Hmm. You know? So that is the book that I picked to go with Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, seems right. I mean, like, smuggling books, stealing books. Not stealing caving contraband. under pressure, not, not, giving, not giving anything away. away. Secrets. Yeah. 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 Definitely need that to play Sheriff of Nottingham. Mm -hmm. Good suggestion. Thank you. Yeah. What is your next? Well, the second book that I gave you. Yeah. So the other book that I gave you to match is a young adult contemporary novel, which I also mentioned in one of my recommendations. It's called To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. <laughs> this... Yeah, cowgirl Cookies. Yeah, Cowgirl Cookies. This is a fairly popular book because a Netflix movie recently came out mm -hmm. for this book. So this is about a high school girl named Lara Jean, and when she has a crush on someone, she writes a letter to them and then keeps it in a box. And one of these letters that she wrote is to her sister's boyfriend, Josh, who becomes her sister's ex-boyfriend, but she still doesn't want to date him because she loves her sister and doesn't want to impose like that. Go that awkward. Yeah, so one day she finds out, though, that someone mailed all of these letters that she's written over the years, and in order to throw Josh off the trail... Josh is... 
the ex-boyfriend. Yep. Okay. In order to throw him off, Laura Jean kisses Peter Kaminsky, another boy that she wrote a letter to. And then they eventually decide to have a fake relationship to make Peter's girlfriend, well, his ex-girlfriend jealous and to kind of continue to solidify said ex-boyfriend from not catching on. I've seen yeah. the movie many times. Brenna's very into this movie. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> um, I will say, though, like, the book, a lot of people like the book because of Laura, Laura Jean and Peter, but I like the book more because of Laura Jean's relationship with her sisters. Mm. Like, to be quite honest, I don't really care about Peter Kaminsky in the books at all. I just really like Laura Jean's relationship with her family. <laughs> Well, you even said, like, it is a trilogy, right? Yes, it's a trilogy. And you said that the characters, like, there's a character that gets introduced later that is more interesting, in your opinion, than Peter anyways. Oh, he's so much more interesting. Yeah. John Ambrose McLaren. John Ambrose McLaren. I am so excited for the the sequel, the movie that's coming out. Where they out. will be meeting John Ambrose McLaren. Yeah. He's showing up. I'm happy. Well, I'm glad you're happy. Anyway. What... I'm glad that I have many more teen, I don't know, what would you call this team rom-coms? Yeah. To come. <laughs> so what board game did you pick to match to all the boys I've loved before? Speaking of rom-coms, let me take you on a journey into one of the more interesting board games that has been released in the last couple years. Let me take you into The Fog of Love. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> This is a board game that is for two players, and only two players. And if you look it up on BoardGameGeek, it also says it is best played with two players. Which means literally nothing, because you can only play with two people. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> this is a board game that we do not own yet, but I have seen played and am very interested in owning as well. Um, I just, I don't, it's a very different kind of board game. So, like I said, it is two players. Each of you gets assigned a character and your character is, uh, you have to role play your character while you play. And the premise of the game is that you are going to experience a rom-com with your partner where you both have your own life goals and fulfillment goals um, and what you need and what you want in a relationship. And you both have your own character goals. So like, for example, if I'm a thief and Brenna's the, I don't know, preppy boy, you know, I might really want to steal from him in the beginning, but then eventually it turns into love. Ooh. Ooh, enemies to friends Ooh. to lovers. Frenemies. <laughs> Frenemies. <laughs> Ew. Um, anyways, but so this game starts out and you essentially set up the, you set up a beginning scenario and it starts with a, you're going on a date with your significant other or person, not not significant other, going on a date with the person that you've just met in some way. And it does explain through scenarios how you met said person. And everyone gets these scene cards and they have to play these scene cards and see how the other player or both of them choose to react. And so it is more of a role-playing game than anything. Like you essentially, like I would play a card on you and it would be like a question like, we're on, we're sitting in a cafe on our first date and I ask you, who's the perfect man? And then you have to like, as your character, list off what you think the perfect man has. And if you say things that are in line with what my character thinks, I gain satisfaction because we are, <laughs> we are connecting. But if you say things that are not in line with my, what my character thinks, I don't think there's actually anything really negative with it, but I don't think I get anything either. This game sounds hilarious. Yes. Uh, I watched this game played, like it's a two player game, but I literally watched this game played in a crowd of people who were all standing around watching two people play this game because mm -hmm. it's really funny to watch people play this game because you're watching essentially a rom-com happen. Um, I don't know that 
I could play this game. Like, I don't know if I could take it seriously. I honestly, like, this is a weird recommendation, but I honestly think that you could play Fog of Love at a party, even though it is only two people. If you and your whoever you want are just really into board games, but you're also in a party, you guys could totally play Fog of Love, play it, and ha and people would be entertained by you guys playing Fog of Love. <laughs> I swear. Yeah, other than that, like, I thought, like, what, what better to fit with this rom-com book than literally a board game about rom-coms. And I'm pretty sure there's a scenario in there where you are literally pretending to be, you know, the classic trope, we pretend to be in love and then we actually fall in love. I gotta say too, I love that trope. That is one of my favorite tropes. I feel like that trope is in quite a few books that you like. Um, Outlander has something like it. Does it? Well, they get married for non-real reasons. Oh yeah, And okay. then they are like, later on they're like, you know what, you're actually pretty cool. I like you. That's true. Yeah. 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 So that's my recommendation. I strongly recommend that you check out Fog of Love, and I strongly recommend recommend that you check out... I just forgot Sherlock Holmes' name. <laughs> Good job. Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. I was like, that smart guy. Um, <laughs> the smart guy that wears a deerstalker. Yeah, I was like, what? Anyways, check them out. Check out the books that we've also paired today. Do you want to try maybe doing some like okay, fast? Okay, I'm so bad at thinking of things on the Who spot. Who cares? Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, how about we'll start easy. You okay. can you can give me a book and I'll come up with a board game for it. I have to give you a book, like any Just book? any book. Okay, uh, The Night Circus. The Night Circus. Okay, I don't know why I'm going to say this because I've never played this game, but this literally makes me think of this. The first thing that came into my mind is a game called Unfair which is designed by some other people. It's literally, it is literally Roller Coaster Tycoon. <laughs> does not fit with, that does not, does not fit with the Night Circus, all. but it is a circus and it is a vibe. Um, For the creepy, like magical vibe, I guess I would maybe pick Mage Knight, but Mage Knight is more complicated and another game that I have also not played. But this game is like a combat game, but you are trying to out magic people. So maybe that one would work better. Now I'm just going to throw out another one. Um, for me or? No, for, for possibly for a match circuit. to this. There's another book called The Quacks of Quindlinburg. What a name. Yes. I'm actually, this might be the best match for that, for that thing. It is, it is lighthearted, not dark at all, but I'm fairly certain that The Quacks of, uh, of Quindlinburg is about mages who are building a city and are attempting to make the city the best city that they can. Oh yeah. For use of magic. Good. Although I literally haven't seen this game in a long time. I've only heard buzz about it and I've watched maybe one or two videos about it. So fact check me on that because I, I might be incorrect. But definitely check it out. Okay, for you, you get the board game. <laughs> you can't even think of a board game. I can think of a board game. <laughs> Small world. Oh. Okay, the first thing that popped into my head, I think just because of like the different creatures... Was okay. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Because I was like, ooh, like goblins and hobbits and elves and all funny ogres and trolls and things. What else? Anything else? Um, trying to think of like books where there are magical creatures conquering other magical creatures. Just sounds like you're describing Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like I can't think of anything else. Okay, well that's fine. Good match. Thanks. Next book. <laughs> What's the next book? Oh, you want another one? Yeah. Um, ooh. I'm having fun. Get one for Six of Crows. Six of Crows, oof. Can I do a video game? Fine. Dishonored. <laughs> <laughs> Literally fits so well with this. Um, Dishonored, I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast, have we? Yeah, you have. Okay, so Dishonored, you're a magical thief 
who is going through, and you have literally been dishonored. So you used to be the captain of the guard, but you were dishonored and framed for a crime. And now you are a low-life thief. And you are trying to essentially help out this really Ketterdammy place. I don't even remember what it's called. I like how you just described it as a Ketterdammy place. Yeah. Okay, Ketterdam is the place from Six of Crows. But <laughs> it literally... I can't think of something that fits better. It's in, like, this steampunky, like, gritty world where there's, like, whale oil that they use to, like, burn. And there's, like, this outsider character who gives you magical powers that let you use shadows to your advantage. Like, it, I feel like Dishonored... Is very it has similar. a very Six of Crows vibe, I agree. Yes, yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, now you give me one more. One more. Uh, you can have Champions of Midgard. This is so hard. We asked for Viking recommendations because I don't have any Viking books. <laughs> <laughs> Champions of Midgard. Wow. Um... <laughs> Absolutely nothing, hey? All I can think of, like, Champions of Midgard is about big, strong Vikings going and getting stuff done i don't know they go on adventures to fight monsters yeah but i in don't boats do i have i read any books about people in boats going to fight monsters <laughs> i don't know prince caspian <laughs> no <laughs> that would be voyage of the dawn treader oh, actually voyage of the dawn treader by c.s lewis my favorite c.s lewis book no joke really love that one sure go with that i don't know i can't think of anything okay that's okay sorry i'm putting you on the spot here <gasps> I cannot think of things off the top of my head. I, like, need a reference list. All right. Well, maybe we'll have to do this another time where we do give you a reference a reference list. That's what we did in the first half of the episode. No, but I'm thinking, like, ten board games and books. And oh you just gosh. have a reference list. That, like, you can look at it beforehand, but you're not prepared. That's terrifying. We'll do it in the same episode where we do the game where we, like, describe a book and then you have to guess what it is. <laughs> okay. Cool, cool. Let's get into our recommendations of the week. Recommendations of the week! Do you actually have one this week? Yeah. Oh, good, okay. I do. What is it? My recommendation this week is a is a video game that I had the chance to try out playing. This game is called Outer Worlds. It is a AAA title, so if you haven't heard of it, that's okay. What it is is essentially a... Oh, oh. I have had a friend describe it to me as a mix of Fallout New Vegas and essentially like space in the same thing. So what it is, is it's a story driven game where you are found frozen on a ship and essentially kidnapped from said ship by some crazy scientist who's like, you've been frozen for years. And then you get plunged into this very, very uh, social Darwinist world where, like, it's survival of the fittest, but also capitalism. And people literally, like, for example, people pay for their grave plots. I guess you do that as well in, in real life. That's, yeah, that's something um, that actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, you live in a corporate-owned city working for said corporation until you die, and then you are buried in a corporate grave that you have to pay for you, there's also like another thing like that like another really funny thing that happened was um there's this guy this is kind of not this is dark so it's not really funny but there's this guy who commits suicide in the thing they it's illegal to commit suicide in the world so your closest living relative has to pay a fine and it's pretty it's a pretty big fine if you commit suicide although in this world they don't mean your closest living like your closest living family relative, they just mean the closest living person who is relative to your body. What? So like if, 
legit. So like, if I commit suicide, it's just like the closest person in the room to me when I committed suicide has to pay a fine. That's ridiculous. Yeah. This is a really interesting and weird world. Also a fun game. Check it out. I think it's cool. It just sounds depressing to me. Well, I mean, it's obviously that is a depressing example, but it's a fun game. Okay. What's your first recommendation of the week? My first recommendation? Or what's your recommendation of the week? Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know we were allowed to have multiple ones. I mean, I've had multiple ones in the past. <laughs> okay, well, I only have one. Uh, my recommendation of the week this week is your local library. Aww. I Cute. love the library. I use the public library all the time. Probably 90% of the books that I read come from the library. And not only does the library provide free books and free audiobooks and free movies, but they also have free programs for all kinds of people. Like, I used to bring uh, the kids that I nannied there all the time for story time, and some of our libraries have play places. And some of them have board games. Some of them have board games, that's true. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have DVDs. They are community hubs, and they are very important for building community, for helping people that don't have a lot of money. Libraries are extremely accessible. They're somewhere where you can go to use the Wi-Fi, to use a computer if you need to. They have programs to help you write resumes. You can take courses for job, like learning to take job interviews. You can take, at least at the Calgary Public Library, you can take two free online courses every year, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go to, like, the Central Library downtown has archives in it. Uh, they have a whole bunch of different exhibits. Libraries are great. They're so cool. Yeah. And I don't think that libraries get enough credit. Like, more people should go to libraries and should use libraries because they're so important. That's so a good recommendation. I think you should go show your local library some love. Yeah, go show your local library some love. Show up, be like, hey, I love you, library, and just give it a big hug. And, and then sure also you... check out a book. Yeah, make sure you actually <laughs> use something there so that you're really supporting it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to episode eight of The Hobby Shelf. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would greatly appreciate if you would click that subscribe button and leave us a review. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Hobby Shelf, or you can send us an email at thehobbyshelfpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us at brennadaviesediting.com slash thehobbyshelf. All of the books and the games that we mentioned will be in the show notes, along with our recommendations. Definitely contact us. We love hearing from our supporters. We really do. Mm, love it. We are grateful to record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation of Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta, where we live, play, and work. Listen to our next episode, where we talk about our pet peeves. Oh, that's going to be a good one for me. <laughs> and remember, keep expanding your shelf.